Now, you may not know this about me, but I am a big smoothie guy. And if you were to sneak into our house in the morning, by the way, if you do, I would give you a few chores to do because my kids aren't doing them. But if you were to sneak into my house in the morning, uh, you would probably see me slurping away on a fruit smoothie for breakfast. And so uh, I want to just show you some of the things I do in making my fruit smoothie. And to do this, I'm going to need some help. Uh, and it, it was discovered this morning that Janet Marshall loves smoothies. So, Janet, come on up here and, and help us out with this. You can come on to this side since there's all sorts of cords everywhere. Now, to begin, uh, I think we both know that fruit smoothies involve having certain ingredients. Like there's certain things that you have to have in a fruit smoothie to make it a fruit smoothie. Uh, And so what do you think some of those ingredients are? Fruit. Fruit. Let's just stop there. (laughs) Fruit is a really important part in making fruit smoothies. And so let me see here. So this is my Ninja Blender. We got it when, uh, when Paul had his uh, surgeries and was on a liquid diet for a number of months. But he, stopped, he, he grew tired of smoothies very quickly, um, but I've been using it ever since. And so um, I love our little Ninja Blender here. Uh, so we need some fruit, and let's go ahead and see what we have in this bag. Um, what kind of fruit do you like in it? Do you like blueberries? Okay. All right. Go ahead and add the blueberries into that. And what about a banana? Yeah, you can, you can dump all those in there. Okay. Here's, uh, yeah, I, I forgot about, um, you'll, just have to, you'll just have to worry about that when you get down there. There you go. All right. So you can put that in there. And I don't know if you want a whole banana or if you just want to eat part of it. Okay, so we'll put that there. And then I got some more fruit. Now, now fruit is expensive, so I didn't want to bring the whole bag, so I just put little pieces. Do you like pineapples? Okay, all right, so go ahead and add that in there. It's pineapples and strawberries in the smoothie. And let's see. In addition to fruit, I like to put a few other things in there. And one of the things is um, I like to add a little bit of yogurt. Now, I can't have... Uh, lactose. So this is lactose-free yogurt. I'm not going to be sharing it with you, but this is all I have. So let's go ahead and let's add the yogurt. And I did bring a spoon for this. So there you go. So you can get that in there. And we have two other things that I want to get in there. Um, I like to sweeten it a little bit. And so for part of the sweetening, you know, there's a number of things you can put in, but I feel like honey is pretty healthy. You're not so sure about that. Okay. All right. Go ahead and add a little bit of honey. Not too much though. Yeah. Just a little dab, just a dab of honey. There you go. And finally, I like to give it a little bit like of consistency and maybe even just a tad bit of protein in there. And so I like to add Quaker oats, dry oats to it. So go ahead and add some of that to it. All right, so she's adding that into there. Okay, so let's go ahead and let's give it a try here. We're going to put this on and it's going to be noisy, just to warn you. 
So it's attempting to do something, but we're having an issue. Yeah. Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> That's a good one. Um, there's something else we need to add to make it a fruit smoothie, and it's not even fruit. What, what else do we need here? You said it? Some kind of liquid. Some kind of liquid, yes. So I have some milk to add in there. So I'm going to give this back to you here, and let's go ahead and see if it'll work better now that there's some milk in it. I'm going to stand back. Yeah. There you go. Good job. Yeah, whatever you want. I mean, you're drinking this, so I, I, I can't drink it while I'm up here. So, yeah. You're going to share. Okay, we'll put that in there. Now, I have a feeling that it's going to be much better now. Oh, there we go. Okay, you can hang out here for just a moment, okay? Now, as this is blending here, and it's rather loud, hopefully you can hear me. We're in a title, we're in a series titled, What is a Disciple of Jesus Christ? And last week we saw that a disciple of Jesus Christ follows Jesus. Can you maybe, let's move this back a little bit. Here, just stand in front of it. Maybe that'll, there you go. And the primary way that we do this as through following Jesus is through obedience to the Word of God, through the Bible. And over the next few weeks, what we're going to be looking at are some other characteristics that are really just an offshoot of following Jesus. And, but these are important characteristics of following Jesus, and they are so important that they weren't being singled out. And so today, we're going to be looking at the third characteristic of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, which is that a disciple of Jesus Christ loves. Loves. Now I see that our smoothie is finally ready here. Let's bring it back over. Okay. We're going to take this over. I think you added too much liquid. All right, here you go. Good luck. Uh, why don't you try it out? We'll, we'll all see. It was all good ingredients. This was just, are you, are you lactose intolerant also? Oh, okay. It was uh, skim, skim milk. All right. So she's trying it out now. It's not bad. All right. Go, go bring it to your husband and to your daughter there. And let's, uh, let's all give her a hand. Thank you for helping. Now, I hope you've seen that a fruit smoothie here requires certain ingredients to make it a fruit smoothie. So it, if certain ingredients are missing, then it, it may still taste good. In fact, my daughter puts strawberries in it, no liquid, and somehow figures out how to blend it together. Uh, and it tastes good to her. So fruit, though, is one of those ingredients, but to me, you can't have a fruit smoothie without also the liquid, because you need that liquid 
added in there so that it can all blend together to become the smoothie. Now, likewise, what what I hope that you're going to walk away with today is an understanding of of one of the key ingredients of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, and that is love for one another. If love is not part of being a disciple of Christ, then I would dare say that what I am looking at is probably not a disciple of Jesus Christ. One pastor told the story uh, about a time where he needed to go get some last-minute dry cleaning. And so he remembers across town that there was a, uh, a big sign above a dry cleaners that advertised one-hour dry cleaners. And so he drove all the way across town to the other side there, and he handed over the suit that he needed cleaned, and he said, I need this in an hour. But to his surprise, the person told him, I can get this back to you on Thursday. Now, the, he, he said, I thought you did dry cleaning in an hour. And she replied saying, no, that's just the name of the store. <laughs> now, I want to ask you, could that story be said of us as well? Where do we advertise it, but not show it? Do we advertise it, but not live it out? So let's go ahead and let's take a look at our main passage. And that's going to be from John chapter 13. We're going to look at two verses, verses 13, uh, 34 and 35. Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, this section of John is called the the farewell discourse. It starts in chapter 13, the second half of of the book of John. And in this section, Jesus knows that his time on earth is nearing an end. This is, and so from chapters 13 to 17, he focuses on giving instructions to his followers. And during, as part of this, he's he's sort of saying like his goodbye message. It's sort of like uh, occasionally my wife and I will will go away for a few days. Uh, uh, Last month we went on a pastor's retreat uh, and different things like that. And when we do that, we have my parents fly up from Maryland to watch our kids. But because my parents don't live with us or don't live near us all the time, there's, an, a bit of, there's a bit of an adjustment period for them to get to know the kids' schedule and everything that the kids are up to. So they have to relearn it every time they come up because things are always changing. And so they have to find out where the kids need to go at this time in the morning or at this time and be picked up in the afternoon And even as we're headed to the airport to leave, or as we're about to drive off, uh, we're we're still giving last-minute advice to my parents. Don't forget to have her brush her hair before she goes to school. Make sure he's awake because he sometimes falls back asleep, even after getting up in the morning. Call if you have any questions, and so on and so forth. And, And this is Jesus in a much greater way, though. He is preparing to leave, and he's giving his disciples some important things to remember. 
And one of these things, one of these important things that he wants them to remember is that, the, that of the importance of loving one another. And so he starts out by saying, a new commandment that I give to you, that you love one another. Let's think about this. How is this new? How is this new? Because the, the concept of love is not a new idea. I mean, we can go all the way back to Deuteronomy. And even before, but here's a, a, one of the big commandments here. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And so Jesus later calls this the, the first of the great commandments there, with the second being love your neighbor as yourself. So what makes Jesus' words in John, what makes him say that this is a new commandment? And what he, dese- what he says in the next part of the verse is what makes it new. He says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now that's different. Jesus is not simply telling them to love one another. Jesus is telling them to love one another like he loved them. Like he loved them. But what exactly does this mean? How do we love one another like Christ loved each other? Or like like Christ loved us? Now our culture is filled with slogans and ideas about what love is and about what love should be. I just did a, a quick search about some popular love signs that, that are popular these days. For example, here's one that says, love one another. Using the, the words of Jesus here, but clearly with a different idea in mind. Here's another one. Love is love is love is love. So again, they have an idea of love that is different than what Jesus is talking about here. Another one, love thy neighbor, no exceptions. This also is right out of the Bible. And then lastly, coexist. Love thy, uh, all you need is love. And so in all of these, the idea is that love equals accepting approving or going along with whatever beliefs or actions are being uh, promoted in these signs. But is this what Jesus is getting at when he tells us to love one another? And I would propose to you that the answer is no. Now, Jesus does tell us to love those that are different than us and even to love our enemies. For example... He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So essentially, let's remember, we're told to love one another, meaning those that, that, that are uh, with us, that believe the same things. And then we're told to love those that are against us. So we're to love everyone here. We're to love people, whether or not they're actively opposing us or believing something different than us. But again, Does loving our enemy or loving someone that's different than us, does that mean accepting and going along with and believing in what they say? Well, I'm going to spend the the rest of the sermon here 
addressing two questions that pertain to love from the perspective of the Bible. And so I'm going to answer two questions. First of all, what is biblical love? But then second, what is not biblical love? And so first of all, what is biblical love? Now, the New Testament was written in an old form of Greek. And uh, many of you, if you've been here for any period of time, have, have heard this before, that there's four Greek words, four main Greek words, that point to the English word that we use for love. And so there's the phileo, that's the uh, friendly or brotherly love. There's the eros, that, that's the romantic, the, the, the kissy-kissy love. There's the storge, that's more of a family or protective love. But then there's the agape, that's the unconditional or sacrificial love. And the Greek word that Jesus is using in these verses, in John 13, is agape. And this makes complete sense given that Jesus is telling us to love as he loved. Love in an unconditional, sacrificial way. So let's go over a couple of the ways that Jesus loved. And I just mentioned one of these. And first of all, Jesus' love was sacrificial. So he put others above himself. He came to this earth and humbled himself for others, not for himself. He went to the cross to save others, not himself. And so his entire life that he lived on earth was an example of sacrificial love. Another way that he loved us was uh, a humble love. Meaning that, that he didn't act based on what he thought would make him a name. He acted based on putting others first. How many of you have seen this show here, Undercover Boss? And it's, a, it's about this big boss or CEO of a company that uh, comes and disguises himself and then works among the common folk. So if this were Island Pond, I would disguise myself, and I, I don't know what, it, hold on, that's a bad example here. <laughs> yeah, scratch that. The, the, the CEO of McDonald's would then come and work and, and make hamburgers with others, and so on. And so he does these menial jobs, that are far below what, what he's used to doing. And by the end, he's gained a better understanding of what it means to work for his company. And in a, in a way, Jesus was the first undercover boss because he, he humbled himself and he lived among the common folk and he was tempted just like we were he, was, he suffered just like we experienced suffering in the sense that he had pain like we have pain. So, so he experienced sadness and, and depression. And Hebrews talks about how he's able to sympathize with us because he's experienced the things that we have experienced. And so he is, uh, in that way, he is the, the, a humble person because he's come down and he's uh, experienced this all with us. But another way that he loves us is that he was giving. He was giving, meaning that, that he came and he built other people up. In leaving this earth, 
He, leaves, he left the other people better off than before. And so when Jesus left, everyone was better off. I mean, he was the, the greatest first Boy Scout, using the motto, leave the place better than you found it. Because he made a way for people to have new life. So he was giving. And then next, he was also unconditional. So he didn't love because he knew that he was going to get something in return from us. He didn't love because he, he thought that we deserved it. He didn't love be, because uh, he thought that we were some good people that off, could offer something. In fact, in Ephesians 2, Paul talks about how he loved us when we were at our worst point, when we were dead in our trespasses. Just the other day, one of our chickens passed away. And uh, it's, it's the circle of life here, people. If, if you have chickens, it happens. Um, but when it was dead, guess what we did? We got rid of it. Because it was no longer any use to us. But Ephesians 2 is talking about, hey, we were dead. We were nothing. And yet Jesus stepped in and he made us something. He saved us. He loved us when we were at our worst. And last, Jesus focused on glorifying God. So the love that he showed was a love that was geared towards glorifying his Father. Everything that Jesus did was to glorify God the Father. And so it's important to see that this love was based out of that, which means that his love never went beyond his desire to glorify God. It was within those bounds, within those limits. So this is the type of love that Jesus has for us. And this is the type of love that he is calling us to have for others. This is the type of love that shows that you are one of his disciples. Verse 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, have, have you thought about that? You are showing people Jesus based on how you love them. You are showing people Jesus based on the type of love that you portray. So that's what we might call biblical love. Now let's focus on what is not biblical love. I want to give you two things briefly about what it is not. First of all, biblical love is not romantic love. It's not what we see in the movies. It's not the warm, fuzzy feelings that we get when we're around our special person. But I, I don't want to say I'm bashing love here or romantic love because husbands and wives, I hope that you have lots of romantic eros love for each other. I would be thrilled to hear about, though not see, that you are more romantic than ever with your spouse. But when it comes to loving one another, Jesus is not talking about that type of love. 
So when Paul says to greet one another with a holy kiss, that, that's not what he's getting at in Romans 16 or 1 Corinthians 16. That's not what he's talking about. But second, biblical love is not approving or accepting. Because it would be contradictory for Jesus to tell us to approve of our enemies when he tells us to love our enemies. Oh, they're persecuting you. Approve of them. I mean, Jesus is not saying that. And so there's a difference here, church, between biblical love and approval. And this is where modern culture mixes up definitions. Someone may say, oh, Jesus didn't say love, or didn't Jesus say love one another? Well, by opposing my view, you're not being very loving. Someone may say, just, just get along, everyone. Didn't, didn't Jesus say to be loving to each other? Oh, you're not being loving because you're disagreeing with me. But by being loving, it is not approving or accepting. Now, I'm going to be the first to admit here that Christians fall short of this far too often. That we do not always love from a biblical love perspective. We do not always love people that we don't agree with. Far too often, Christians show more hate or contempt or pride towards the people that they don't agree with. But listen, church. Yelling at people in parades and gleefully telling them that they're going to hell is not loving. That's not the love of Jesus. Calling someone names simply because you disagree with them over who is the best candidate is not loving. Posting mean comments about someone because they have different beliefs, just because they're separated by the, by the World Wide Web, is not loving. As the old saying goes, we're to, to hate the sin, but love the sinner. And too often Christians mix that up and begin to hate the sinner, often forgetting that we are sinners as well, just in slightly different ways. So we often mess this up, and we often come across as very unloving people. But even with that admission, we should never think that biblical love means accepting or approving or going along with other sinful actions. And this means that at times, Christians are going to be accused of being unloving. Christians are going to be accused of being bigoted or hateful. Because Jesus told us thousands of years ago that you will be hated by, uh, by all for my name's sake. It's in Matthew 10, 22. So just because you're showing biblical love to someone does not mean that they're going to love you back. And we must be prepared for that. So as we wrap up, I want to encourage every one of you to love like Christ loved. Now, are we going to do it perfectly? No, we won't. But can we all get better at it? Absolutely. 
And as disciples of Jesus Christ, our goal is to be like our master in loving people. I came across an article that I want to read. It was from a Christian leadership magazine. And let me share the the part of you, uh, the part of that that uh, stood out to me. This is written by Juan Carlos Ortiz. He said, watching a trapeze show is breathtaking. I wonder at the dexterity and timing. We gasp at near misses. In most cases, there is a net beneath when they fall. They jump up and bounce back to the trapeze. In Christ, we live on a trapeze. The whole world should be able to watch and say, look at how they live, how they love one another. Look at how well that husband treats their wife. And they aren't, or, and aren't they the best workers in the factories and offices, the best neighbors, the best students? That is to live on the trees, being a show to the world. But what happens when we slip? The net is surely there. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ has provided forgiveness for all our trespasses. Both the net and the ability to stay on the trapeze are works of God's grace. Of course, we cannot continually be sleeping on the net. If that is the case, I doubt whether the person is a trapezist. I'm going to close with this story here. On April 18, 1942, this is near the beginning of World War II when um, America was just getting their first attempt at trying to bomb Tokyo. And one of the people that bombed Tokyo on that first uh, raid there was someone named Jacob DeShazer. DeShazer. Now, I looked up how to say his name and every single person said it differently. So uh, if, you're saying, if you think I'm saying it wrong, hey, I tried. I tried. <laughs> After successfully dropping the bombs on Tokyo, they knew that they weren't going to make it back to the aircraft carrier that they took, that they took off on. And so the, the goal was to get over into China and to land there safely and, and, and disappear before the Japanese could find them. But uh, the, the Shazer's plane started running out of fuel. And so he had to jump out of the plane with a parachute. And he safely landed to the ground, but was then taken prisoner and put in a prison camp. He spent the next two years in solitary confinement, occasionally tortured, in filthy condi- conditions, and was constantly sick. At one point, another prisoner died, and so the Japanese decided that they would increase the food a little bit and start trying to treat them a little bit better. And so that involved letting them have a book to read as well. And one of those books that he read uh, that, that was sent was the Bible. Now, Deshazer was, had grown up in a Christian home, but he had never put his faith in Jesus Christ. And so After six months of waiting for his turn to get the Bible, he finally got it. And he began reading during his allotted time. And he came across Romans 10, 9. And when he read that, 
He prayed and he put his faith in Jesus Christ in that dirty cell in a Japanese prison camp. And then the days after his conversion, he realized that being a Christian meant living in a different way, even in a prison camp. And so one day, this cranky guard pushed Deshazer into his cell and slammed the door shut quickly, and it slammed right on his right foot. And when he did that, instead of opening the door back up to, to, let, to get his foot out, uh, the guard simply started kicking at it and kicked his foot free. Now, Deshazer was in serious pain, but he was also seriously angry at the guard. However, after he cooled off for a little bit, the words of Jesus that he had memorized popped into his head where it says, where Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So he decided that he would try to live that out. And the next day, that same guard appeared at the door and the Shazer greeted him respectfully in Japanese. The guard looked at him puzzled, but then walked away. But then every day after that, the Shazer continued to be respectful toward the guard. And this got to the point where the guard started noticing this and eventually even started treating him more kindly and even smiling back at him. The guard even then started sneaking him food. Now fast forward about a year, and uh, Japan had lost the war. The Shazer was finally free. And when he made it home, he started wondering about his captors. He began wondering about the, the people of Japan that had just gone through multiple nuclear bombs and how they were surviving. And that led him and his wife to become missionaries in Japan in 1948. And Deshazer wrote a track about his time as a prisoner of war and about forgiveness and love, and an army chaplain started handing that out, and over a million copies were given out to the people of Japan. So this led many Japanese to then want to meet Deshazer, and so the, the first couple of months that he was in Japan, he started meeting with hundreds of groups during that time and sharing with them about Jesus. Fast forward a few more years. He continued to be in Japan. He planted a church and continued to do a number of different things. But then in the early 1950s, the Shazer was still praying that God would continue to move in Japan. And he met with this Japanese man that you see here on the screen. And this man was involved in the attack on Pearl Harbor, one of the commanders. And he had read the Shazer's testimony and because of that, this Japanese man had purchased the Bible and then eventually became a Christian. And so this then led to this man traveling around the country as an evangelist, sharing with people about Jesus. All of this came out of his decision to love one another. I think about it, if he had been filled with bitterness on that day when they slammed his foot shut. Would he have wanted to go back later on? Would he, have been, would he have cared enough about the people that held him captive to go back and share Jesus with them? I would say probably not. 
But because of his decision to love one another, that led him to then go and to share Jesus later on with them. And that then led hundreds or thousands or even more people to then go and put their faith in Jesus Christ. And it led this one man that was involved in Pearl Harbor to then go and put his faith in Jesus and tell others about Jesus. And so it spread from there. Church, this is how we are called to love. Not accepting, not agreeing, but sacrificially caring. And when we act this way, people notice. So through choosing love, your neighbors and your friends and your family may eventually turn to Jesus because of your love. And so I want to encourage you, choose to love the way that Jesus loved. Because that is what it means to be disciple of Jesus Christ. Let's go ahead and let's spend a moment in prayer. And I want to encourage you that maybe you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ. Hey, God loves you. And no matter how much you have messed up or you think you've messed up, the blood of Jesus covers your sins. And so I want to encourage you, turn to him right now. That same verse that Deshazer read, that led him to put his faith in Christ. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do that now. Do that now and put your faith in him. Father, I...